and we are going. All right, you ready? Ready. All right, in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? It's your man, Stephen Bardo, coming at you with another edition of Bardo's Breakdown. I'm your host, Stephen Bardo, and I've got a special guest. He's a friend of mine, more so than anything. We were former teammates, former adversaries on the court. Uh, but this is my man, Walter Bond. What's good, Walt? How you doing, brother? Man, working hard, brother. Working hard. Um, living the coronavirus effect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but life is good, man. You know, we are, you know, um, let me not get ahead of ourselves. But life is good, brother. Life is good. Good, good. I, I like to hear that. Uh, well, what we're going to do, man, we'll just go from the beginning, kind of how you got involved in the game and take, take us through the game and your involvement and what you're doing now. Does that, does that sound good? Sounds great. Okay. So, Chicago native, um, how did you first get in, exposed to the game of basketball? Did, 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 somebody, did somebody introduce you to the game, or was it something that you were trying to keep up with the other guys in the neighborhood? What was it? Well, both. You know, B-O-F, both. <laughs> uh, you know, you said a mouthful when you said Chicago native. And, um, you know, my biggest struggle, people that know me, was what sport. You know, mm -hmm. basketball and Chicago go hand in hand like peanut butter and jelly. And so when you grow up in Chicago, basketball is the culture. Basketball is a lifestyle. Many of my friends to this day at 51 still play pickup ball. You know, it just baked into, into the Chicago culture. Now, if I'd have grown up in Texas or Florida, or Dominican Republic, who knows, right? Because I'm a big boy, you know? Right. My biggest issue with my career was getting my weight down to be able to play this amazing game called basketball, which I believe attracts the best athletes in the world. I played football and baseball and basketball. Basketball by far has the most fluid, explosive, dynamic athletes. So with that being said, um, I come from a family who focused on sports and academics. I didn't always have my priorities right. Sometimes I focus on sports a whole lot more than academics. <laughs> but, you know, my father was a basketball guy. He played college ball, Hall of Fame in his college. You know, my big sister, and you got to watch Women of Troy. I don't know if you've seen it. They just did a documentary on her college basketball team. It's called The Woman of Troy. It just came out this month. It's about, obviously, the famous Cheryl Miller, Pam and Paula McGee. Mm -hmm. And uh, my sister was smart, you know, every time you saw Cheryl Miller and Jamea was standing right there next to her. So okay, okay. Uh, my sister won two national championships playing college basketball. My uncle, uh, Chili Irvin Bond, is, is, used to be the head of, of basketball officials in Chicago. So um, just being a Chicago kid, man, is how basketball kind of became a way of life. Okay. And then... So you you're, you mentioned your father, uh, Mr. Bond, God rest his soul, was a was a high school principal. So what what school was he a principal at, Walter? Man, he always was in the hood, man. <laughs> he was a West Side legend. Uh, for those people who knew him on the West Side, he was Joe Clark. He was Chicago's Joe Clark. Um, he always worked on the West Side. So he was at Crown Academy. Uh, he was a principal there for a long time. He finished at Collins High School. Uh, you know, people don't know this story. I've been sharing it recently. I started at Whitney Young, 
And basically, people think I transferred for basketball reasons. The truth was, my GPA was about 2.1, 2.2. And my old man was like, look, we got to make a move, bro. Right. And uh, love with Young, love the fellowship. But academically, I was not getting it done. Uh, moved and transferred to Collins and uh, raised my GPA. Got confident in the classroom and got a chance to play some big-time basketball, man. Randy Brown. Antoine Davidson, Bruce Faulkner. Uh, it was a great experience. You know, we had many teammates that played D1. Two of us played in NBA. Could have had more. Mm-hmm. You know, if guys would have gotten their grades together <laughs> and sure. handled some business. Yeah, we could have had, you know, maybe even eight division. Michael knew. Um, mm. Man, I mean, so we had a very talented high school team. And uh, But on the west side was where my father kind of made his impact dealing with low-income families. And he was more than just the principal on the west side. He became, you know, people's surrogate or, or stepdad, whatever you want to call it. And he was built for it. And I got a chance to go to his school and experience it. You know, not only was he my father, he was also my high school principal. And that was a cool experience. So, Walter, for, for those that don't quite understand you, you, you touched on it a little bit, and I think it's fascinating because I did not grow up here in Chicago. I've been adopted. Uh, I've been an adopted son now of the city based on my basketball prowess and me being here now over 20 years. But explain to people what the love affair or why basketball culture is so strong in the inner city of Chicago compared to maybe other places around the country. Well, you know, you got to look at history. You know, look at all of the – amazing NBA ball players that the NBA produced. You know, go back and look at DePaul University. You know, DePaul played a huge role, in my mind, of baking basketball into the Chicago culture. I, re- I remember growing up and watching Mark McGuire going in the playground, like, pretending like I was Mark McGuire. McGuire! Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> watching Isaiah Thomas, Zeke. And one of Zeke's sisters taught at my dad's school. And so it was just that kind of, you know, um, 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 Bo Ellis, right? Legend of Marquette would help our basketball team. Sonny Parker, you know, Chicago ball players would grow up in Chicago, go to the NBA, and then move back to Chicago and become mentors. Mm-hmm. I remember meeting Jawan Howard when he was in high school at CBS, meeting Michael Finley and, 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 and all these Chicago high school kids Going to Chicago State Summer League. I mean, it was, there was a lot of things about Chicago that really made Chicago a hotbed of basketball. So I would say DePaul played a huge role. Uh, Chicago State Summer League had to be the best summer league in the country. And all of us who were high school stars, you know, dreamt about getting a chance of walking out of Chicago State with your bag on your shoulder, knowing you weren't going to play. (laughs) <laughs> the gym was out as 80s, right? There was pretty women everywhere. I remember being at Chicago State watching as a little kid, and it would be so hot in the gym that they had to cancel it because mm-hmm. there would be so much condensation on the floor that they had to shut it down. And I remember watching Ricky Green play, Reggie Theus. I remember some of the Chicago State stars, Terry Bradley, and um, there was another guy who looked like a Native American, Tank Eversley. I mean, I'm going... Wow, you're going back, bro. I I am, and I remember that vividly. I remember the first time I met Marcus Liberty. 
we were seventh grade and we played in the seventh grade all-star um, game. And I didn't even know how I got there. I don't know how I got chosen. <laughs> you know, up until that point, I had just been a, kind of a playground kid and played junior bitty over at the YMCA. And they started collecting the top players in Chicago when you're like 13 and you don't know what's going on. Right? Everybody kind of heard about this kid named Walter Bond. You heard about this kid named Marcus Liberty. And I remember when Marcus Liberty, Deion Butler, I mean, come Ooh. on, let's go. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I, Tracy Dildy. I mean, I could go on and on about all of the high school legends, the playground legends. I remember YBI, you know, going Ooh, up to Kimble, playing outside, like yes. Nick Anderson and Kendall Gill and man, Chicago was just a, a, a petri dish for ball players in the city, right? We're talking about city. And I meet people to this day that grew up in my era that were in the suburbs and they'll see me on airplanes and they're like, Walter Bond. And I'm like, oh, who are you, dude? <laughs> and he was like, look, I grew up in Chicago, out in Maywood. I grew up in Oak Park. And man, you know, I watch you, you know, play in high school. I'm a little younger than you. So Chicago back in the day, man, with just the uh, uh, environment where basketball, and people say, Walter, you were a better baseball player, but it doesn't matter. Because, <laughs> you know, basketball ran Chicago, and it wasn't like I chose basketball. I think being a Chicago kid, basketball chose me. And if mm-hmm. I yeah, grew up in Texas or Florida, it could have been a whole different journey. Uh, but man, just to this day, Chicago, is a basketball town. That's why All-Star Weekend, in my mind, was so special. You know, I've been to other All-Star Weekends, and just the way Chicago embraces basketball, the size of Chicago, the mentality of Chicago, it had to be one of the best All-Star Weekends ever. Uh, I, I second that. Uh, I didn't get out a lot because I was a little bit under the weather in between, you know, in between my college season, but I second uh, your sentiment on the job that the city did and hosting the All-Star Game, there was a lot of feedback that was similar to what you're saying. So I totally agree with you on that. So Walter, you're in high school, you get to be the, you're an All-Stater. You've got a choice to, you know, to go to a few schools. I know you you visited Michigan. I know you visited Minnesota. There was, uh, where were some of the other schools that were interested in you? Uh, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. uh, UCLA, and uh, Arizona State uh, were my big offers. Western Kentucky tried to, you know, swoop me up and sign early. And I was like, bro, I don't sign early at Western Kentucky. You don't, you know, that's just not what you do. Uh, but, you know, I had some great choices. You know, I had Arizona State, UCLA, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and uh, Michigan. And um, chose Minnesota. Uh, thought I was going to Michigan. They kind of kicked me to the curb at the last minute. Mm. And that was the first time I got rejected. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't understand how nasty recruiting can be. But the whole time they recruited me, I was their second choice. And their first choice was a kid named Sean Higgins. Mm. And they got Sean Higgins. And the whole time they recruited me, I was like the side chick, but I didn't know I was the side chick. (laughs) (laughs) And when they kicked me to the curb, Bardo, I was devastated. Because at the time, Michigan was a top five program. I mean, they're on national tv every saturday and i was just mesmerized but i'm just thankful that it worked out for me to go to minnesota um because minnesota not only blessed me during my four years 
it blessed me when I was done playing ball. When I retired and moved back to Minneapolis, you got 22 Fortune 500 companies. It's the only Division One school in the States. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that my dad taught me when we were being recruited, being the youngest. My old man was like, man, this is not a four-year decision. And I'm like, what you talking about? You know what I mean? He was like, this is a 40-year decision. That's right. And that one statement my dad made just changed the game on how I looked at recruiting. So I chose Minnesota, not just for four years, but the impact it could have on 40 years of my life. And after I retired, I lived there another 20 years until we just moved to Florida recently. Okay. And then, like, you had a really interesting career in college at Minnesota. Uh, you, you, a lot of the years that you were there, you were regarded as the top six man in the conference. And so a guy like yourself coming in with all state accolades and, you know, a lot of, a lot of recognition, but you were able to carve out a niche. How, how, did, you, how did you go about doing that, Walt? You know, eventually once I got my mind right, <laughs> eventually once I got my attitude together, and that's really what has blessed me now as a motivational speaker. I mean, I've struggled with my attitude, right? I've, I've struggled with accepting roles that I thought I was better than. And, you know, being a Chicago kid, you know, I'm going to the league, bro. Why you put me on the bench? Have you right. lost your mind? Right. So my freshman year, honestly, was a waste in some regards. You know, I didn't progress in basketball per se, but it forced me to develop a new mindset. Okay. You know, it forced me to make some adjustments. You know, it forced me to realize that, you know what? I was a high school basketball star, but college basketball is a new level. And I needed support through that process. You know, I was drinking too much. I was hanging out. I was literally, looking back on it, I was out on my feet and I didn't know it because I always have a smile on my face. If you talk to me, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. the man. But I was really kind of depressed. I was devastated. I stopped going to class. I was just a hot mess. And when my freshman year ended, my father called me on the phone and he asked me a question. You know, why didn't you play? And Bardo, I gave him a lame excuse, but it was real to me. Okay. Politics, daddy, it's political. He asked me another question. How does your coach get paid? Mm. Mm. And I was like, mm. <laughs> oh, the old man was old school, man. And, and, and I would encourage parents, man, you know, stop harassing your AAU coach. The priest. <laughs> Turning your name and saying, you know, these are teachable moments. You know, That's life right. is full of adversity. You know, if we always rescue our children, if we always bail them out, they're not going to get those life lessons that they need to get so that they can be successful, so that they can stand on their own two feet. So anyway, I called home and I cried politics. And a lot of parents would say, you know, hey, um, all right, let's transfer. <laughs> right? The transfer portal right now is packed. And let's be honest, most of those kids, you never hear from them again. Yeah. Right? Yep. My old man was like, look, bro, you chose Minnesota to make it work. <laughs> you took your time. You took all your visits. You said yes to Minnesota. Go back and make it work. And then he asked more questions. Are you working hard? You know, are you staying after practice? Are you listening to your coaches? And the answers were no, 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 and no. And so basically, man up, bro. <laughs> That's right. You know, guard your grill and knuckle up. We grew up with that mentality, right? Right, right. And um, I never forget, man, I went to my coach's office and I asked him a question 
what do I need to do to play in the NBA? And he laughed. And he was like, son, you don't play for me. And basically, he was like, um, you know, you can't dribble, you can't shoot. <laughs> you know, you know kind of gave me the current evaluation relative to an NBA ball player. And this is what I told him, Berto. And I said, the next season, I'm going to become somebody different. And coming off the bench was what was created for me getting better. And I got so good coming off the bench to the point he was like, well, you're good enough to start, but I like you coming off the bench, <laughs> right? And that was another thing I had to get my mind around. Like, dang, like, okay, I'm sitting here not getting any run. I got my mind right. And I became the top six man in the country. And I'm thinking like, okay, so I should break the starting line up now. And he's like, you know what, son? You're so good coming off the bench. I would keep you on the bench. And I became a catalyst. I became like this, this secret weapon. I became like this extra spice that he could throw in the gumbo at any moment. And I did that for two years. And Dick Vitale preached that I was the top six man in the country. And then my senior year, if you remember, I was preseason all Big Ten. And then I broke my foot twice. And I'm just like, oh, man, like, what? Like, I just can't win, you know. And then, you know, so whole four years was a struggle, you know. And then eventually I was about to get a job. And my old man was like, look, man, are you good enough to play in the NBA? And I was like, dad, basketball didn't hurt me so much. <laughs> I'm ready to move on. And he was like, man, you told me you're going to graduate in four years. You told me you're going to play in the NBA. You told me you're going to make more money. So I had this incredible support system, Bardo, that I would love to say that I've just been fly and I've been killing the game my whole life. And that's a lot. That's not the truth. I mean, the, the, the reality was, I mean, there was many times I wanted to quit, give up, throw in the towel. Um, and then my old man was just supportive, encouraging. He never threw that pity party with me. You know, he, ne he never joined my party. And he understood, because I was named after his brother who played major league baseball. So, you know, my father knew that pro sports is tough. He understood the journey. He knew about the ups and downs mentally, <laughs> more so than physically. And that's what most college athletes and pro athletes are separated. It's not a physical thing. I believe if you're good enough to play Division I basketball or football or whatever, I think you have the ability to play pro sports. I really do. But what happens with your confidence, right? What happens with your mindset? What happens with your mentality as you get to this next level? Can you maintain that confidence? You know, can you, can you maintain the vision or do you just throw in a towel and get realistic. You know, I had every excuse in the book to throw in a towel and, bro, go get a job. I averaged seven points a game in college. And my old man just kept supporting me. He kept encouraging me. And when I made the Dallas Mavericks and started opening night, I mean, that just really taught me how important support is, how important it is to have a vision and not quit. And so now as I speak, I can relate to that person in a non-judgmental way. Who's struggling? <laughs> and we look at a world, Bardo, we live in right now. Everybody's so freaking judgmental. I'm like, man, we've all had ups and downs. We've all had setbacks. We've all, we've all struggled. So we've all made mistakes. I, I've done things I'm ashamed of. Right? <laughs> you know, I've done some things I wish I can take back. So with all that being said, who is he who has the right to be judgmental? Like, really? 
if we're really humble and honest about our own journey, that should take any critical mindset away from any of us. And we should have empathy for people who are struggling. Empathy for people who are depressed or sad or discouraged. I mean, come on, like we've all been there. Even before Jesus died, man, he was sad. <laughs> he said, man, take this cup away from me. <laughs> do I really have to do this? <laughs> Y'all really gonna beat me like, what? Y'all gonna put me on the cross and crucify me? Lord, take this cup away from me, right? And But he said, if it be that will. So, you know, thank God he stuck to the plan. Thank God I stuck to the plan. And my struggle became my testimony. And that's what I do now as a motivational speaker. I help people through their struggle. Because I know on the other side of this struggle is going to be victory. On the other side of this struggle is going to be triumph. On the other side of this struggle going to be some money. <laughs> right? So for our kids, we can't take that struggle away, no matter how tempting it is. Because if you take that struggle away, you take their testimony away. And you take that opportunity for them to really learn what life is all about. And then mom and dad, you become God. Instead of them learning who God really is. I ain't trying to preach this morning, part up. But, uh, you know, I can't hear you, man. I, I, don't, I don't hear your, uh, your audio. But um, I can't hear you at all. Can you hear me? Okay, how about now? Is that I can hear you perfectly now. Okay, yeah, I, I, I forgot to push the right button, but you know, I was gonna go to your professional career, uh, your basketball career, but let me stay on this topic. You're, you're uh, watching Bartle's Breakdown. I'm your host, Stephen Bartle. I've got my man, uh, Hall of Fame speaker, former NBA player, former University of Minnesota great Walter Bond uh, with us today. And Walter, you, you were talking about that testimonial and that struggle. You broke your foot twice in uh, your senior year in college and you didn't get drafted, but you ended up starting opening night with the Dallas Mavericks. And then you, you know, you had some ups and downs, but you have done as good a job as I've ever seen as someone taking their respective sport that they uh, got to the top level in, which you did, and translate that into a lucrative Hall of Fame career as a professional speaker. Walt, how did you do that? Well, you know, it, it goes back to the testimony, Bardo. You know, one of my college basketball coaches, Al Brown, and I want to give a shout out to all assistant coaches. You know, in you. sports, and everybody focuses on the head coach, but you and I both know, those assistant coaches get down and dirty with you. That's you right. That's those right. assistant coaches sometimes are the ones that pick you up and, and get your mind right. You know, and, and we had a great staff under Coach Haskins. You know, he was he was a tough guy, right? Sometimes you needed a friend. <laughs> Sometimes you needed a coach who just would just relate with you, have some compassion with you. Coach Haskins' job, he drove, man. He drove us all to get better. And so we had one assistant coach named Al Brown. And I, and I, and I remember two conversations I had with him that were life-changing. Um, Silas McKinney, um, um, you know, Milt Barnes, Jay Williams, we had a great staff. But, but Al Brown, he knew that I was still kind of struggling coming off the bench. He knew that, and he understood that. Like, you know, I got this dream of playing in the NBA, and I just mm -hmm. couldn't sometimes grab 
how in the heck am I going to make the NBA and I can't crack the starting lineup in college? Mm-hmm. That was something that almost was an anchor around my leg, man. It was like a, it, it was like a, a albatross. And he said to me, Bardo, he said, man, just keep working hard and you're going to get blessed. And it might not even come from basketball, mm. but just keep working hard. Mm. And man, my biggest blessings have become, have come after basketball. Yes. You know, I mean, I am, at least financially, much more blessed now than even my NBA career. And he was right. Like, just keep working hard. Your harvest is coming. And so when my wife and I uh, decided to retire, we moved back to Minneapolis. We reconnected with that decision I made in high school of life after basketball and a 40-year decision. And we started speaking. And before I knew it, I stumbled into my purpose. Okay. And I remember another conversation I had with Al Brown because I played a little college baseball. You know, oh, I would I play with the, yeah, I would play with the Gopher baseball team in the summer uh, when the best players went to Cape Cod. And so Coach Haskins was like, look, you can play baseball in the summer, but you got to still play in the summer league. So I'm playing basketball like Tuesday, Thursday, and baseball Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It was crazy. Like every other day. That was just weird. And um, I did well. And Al Brown came and saw me play baseball. And he was like, dude, you got a dilemma. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you're a really good baseball player. I just saw it. And you're also a really good basketball player. But do you want to be a pro? (laughs) Okay. It was another conversation like, boom. Like, you're really good at both but do you want to be a pro? Mm. And man, I almost brought tears to my eyes because it was such a poignant conversation. And I was like, obviously I want to be a pro. He said, well, you got to choose. And again, I told you I was named after my uncle who played major league baseball. So baseball was like my first love. Okay. You know, baseball is what I grew up on. And then eventually Chicago kind of took over. So long story short, I put baseball on the altar. I totally focused on basketball. And about two years later, I was in the NBA starting. So when I see people with three hustles, four hustles, five hustles, then I get the whole multiple stream of incomes. But for the most part, people who are wealthy do one thing. And they master one thing. And they might have a couple different revenue streams within one thing. But typically, they don't have like five different unrelated multiple streams of income. I tried it. When I stopped playing ball, I had five hustles. And my wife sat me down. She said, look, I appreciate your hustle. (laughs) I appreciate your hard work. And I want to help you. But I can't help you do five things. But I had all kinds of hustles. And she was like, it was like the same conversation I had with Al Brown a second time. Mm -hmm. She was like, choose one thing. You know? And, And I sat down, and I remember watching Les Brown and, 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 and I've always been a positive guy for the most part. And I came back to my wife a couple of days later and I was like, look, I want to be a motivational speaker. She's like, you sure? I've heard you talk about it amongst other things. I was all over the place. Okay. <laughs> it's just like Al Brown. Like you gotta, you, do you want to be good? You gotta choose one thing. So luckily we chose the right thing. Uh, we stumbled into the motivational industry, which is a $6 billion industry, carved out a niche. 
and together we built an incredible business. We train employees at casinos. We coach banks, uh, medical device companies. Uh, it's been incredible that I've been able to use my, and my wife too, she has a background in business. I met her, she was sales rep for Dr. Pepper and did some pharmaceutical sales herself. So we coach small business owners. Uh, it's cool, man, that we've been able to mesh my sports background with her corporate experience, what we've learned to get together growing the business and provide value for Jersey Mike Suggs, you know, to provide value for Little Caesars or a $430 million casino. You know, it's kind of cool to be able to sit down with big time business people and they actually listen. Right. And let you facilitate and say, Walter, we want you to be our voice, you know, to be able to come full circle from being that kid dreaming on Chicago playgrounds of, I'm going to play pro sports. I just don't know which one, you know, to being a Hall of Fame speaker. The journey is real. But all the lessons that I've learned, leadership lessons, focus lessons, having a good attitude, finding your niche, playing your role and mm -hmm. dominating your role. All these lessons, man, have now come back to be my biggest blessings. And I'm so thankful that the struggle wasn't taken away. Mm. But the support through the struggle was there so that I could become the man that I needed to become so I can have the impact that I can have. And so again, I want to reiterate to parents, whatever you can, don't take your kids' struggle away. And I know you love them. And I know you hate to see your kids struggle, especially our generation. You know, we're, we're known as a helicopter parent. Yes. You know, yes. we want to come in and rescue our kids from everything. Mm -hmm. And have we produced better kids? You know, when we grew up, parenting was simple, right? You be home when the streetlights come on. <laughs> yeah. Better not talk back. Yeah. Yeah. You better act like you got some sense. It wasn't all this deep, emotional, we want to take you to the doctor and get you evaluated. Right. It was like, boy, you're acting dumb. <laughs> boy, are you crazy. <laughs> right? Yeah. right? You're either stupid or crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. It, it was two diagnoses, right? But at the end of the day, whether you were diagnosed as dumb, stupid, or crazy, you better get yourself together. And that was the world we lived in. And most of us at 18, we, we moved on, you know, we figured it out and became very independent at an early age. So I think now that we rescue kids from every little thing that, um, you know, some of my clients will tell me that their parents are trying to negotiate their kids contract on their first job which is that's which is, crazy and it's happening bro and it's all in the name of love and and, and trying to do the right thing but you know sometimes in, in, in the case that less is more so again when, when things happen to your children it's a teachable moment but if we always rescue i think we're doing that child a disservice and i thank god that i didn't get rescued i know my wife her story her parents didn't rescue her and we had to figure it out. And so at a young age, we were married at 24 and, you know, pretty much independent very young. Yeah. I, I, I love, uh, you, man, you got some juicy nuggets in there. I, I want to let you have an opportunity to talk about the stuff that you're currently doing around the speaking. And I know you've got a new book. Uh, you, you know, you want to take it from there and kind of uh, share with our viewers what you're doing currently. Because what I'm fascinated, Walt, and I want our listeners to under, uh, to, to, take away from is how hard you work, the number, of, the number of dates you have on the road, you're still 
pretty much playing an NBA schedule per year, the number of days that you're on the road, what your topics are, and then talk about your book. You know, ironically, recently I did two keynotes in one day. So, yeah, yeah. So we have been, uh, we've been at it for 19 years. And, you know, I don't want to confuse anybody. Um, The coronavirus has really been something that has devastated the the world around us. But we're, we're taking a position that we're going to take advantage of it. And there's been a lot of things we've been wanting to get to, wanting to build, wanting to work on. And my team and I, we've been meeting you know, around the clock is getting better, you know, building a mastermind program for small business owners, you know, improving our coaching program for small business owners, you know, um, improving our marketing and our reach online, really helping people. And so all the things we've been wanting to get to, wanting to get around to, we actually have a break, an off-season break is what we like to call it, where you can actually get better. And you and I both know from sports, off-season is the only way I made it to the NBA. I wasn't good enough, man. You know, and, and I had to get better. And so the off seasons was something I attacked. And I think the same thing is true right now with the coronavirus. You know, we've been given this little off season that might last two months and might last three months. It might last five months. The worst thing we can do is nothing. And you and I know athletes didn't do anything in their off season. They didn't gain weight. They didn't lose weight. Yep. They didn't work on their jumper. They didn't get in better shape. They just stayed the same. The next year, they got the same results, including teams. The off-season is designed in sports to have a break where you don't work in your business, you work on your business. That's right. And the same thing is true right now. Say it again, Walt. The off-season was a break created to work on your business and not in your business. Mm. And so as a basketball player, when you're competing, you do what you do well. And the off-season is a chance for you to improve what you don't do well. And I really encourage my business people to do the same thing. like. What can you do in your off-season to improve your life? You know, is it getting in better shape? You know, that's something I'm working on, right? I gained a lot of weight when I stopped playing ball. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's time for me to do something about it. So I've been doing this intermittent fasting. I'm starving right now. I'm about to eat this telephone. <laughs> but, you know, people look at me and say, what sport did you play? And I'm like, basketball, fool. And I can't be mad at them, right? <laughs> You know, I can't be mad at them. You know, I, 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 I dug my own grave with my own teeth, so to speak. And so now I'm working on intermittent fasting, get control of it. I lost about 15 pounds. I got to lose some more, right? And so that's something I want to get better at. You know, again, we're working on things in our business to get better. So when the coronavirus is over, we're in a better position. And that's what the offseason is about, getting in a better position so that you can win. We see it in football, right? Everybody right now in the NFL, they're trying to get into, what? into a better position, yeah. right? Tampa Bay just signed or about to sign Tom Brady. Why? Because they're going for the throat, right? Yeah. You got Buffalo Bills. They're trying to get in. Man, Tom Brady's leaving the conference. Maybe we can win it this year. Last year, Kansas City did what they had to do to win a Super Bowl. NBA, God rest their soul. The LA Lakers are trying to make the trade and get in position. So in sports, you're always trying to get better in your off-season, right? Yep. But the same thing is true in life. And we carried that concept into our business. Our clients love it. Uh, we just did, you know, six, five workshops with Jersey Mike Subs. And basically, I was a, one of the facilitators as their franchisees had their own off-season. And we gave them a concept called the power of two. What are the two things that you can work on right now that's going to change the game? 
And I'll give you the context of that. Uh, my senior year, when I wanted to make it to the NBA, I asked my coach, Coach Haskins, what do I need to do to play in the NBA? And he was like, do two things, son. Lose about 15 pounds, right? The weight thing is coming back. Mm-hmm. And knock down a three-point shot. The NBA threw it. Son, if you do those two things, you can play in the NBA. But mm. you got to lose about 15, 20 pounds. You got to knock down a three. And if you do those two things, then you can play in the NBA. Long story short, I lost the weight. I shot five of the shots a day. And, and I can tell, did. ladies and gentlemen, because I used to work out with Walter in the, in the offseason. He used to get after it, but keep going. I mean, I attacked it, right? And so the power of two is real to me. It's real for me. I know it helped me get to my next level. And right now, this morning, my wife and I and my daughter, uh, we had a business meeting, and we decided on our power of two. (laughs) So power of two is real. We use it in the context of business now. A lot of people want to improve five things, ten things. It's not realistic. Get two things, right? Improve two things. I like that. It It can have a world of difference, you know, especially if you... Just focus on two things. Okay. Um, so, Walt, tell me about this new book that you got and the mentality that that has kind of evolved out of it. Well, you know, Swim. You know, Swim has become a bestseller for us. Um, we've sold 10,000 copies. Wiley, the publisher, is thrilled. And the idea just happened organically. I was fishing one day, and I caught this sucker fish. And... The captain of the boat was like, watch this. I'd never seen this fish before in my life. And he stuck it to the top of the boat. And this fish defied gravity. He had a suction on the top of his head, um, just like you see a baby on board sign in the car. It mm-hmm. had a suction. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at this fish defy gravity. I'm like, what the heck? And he was like, that's a sucker fish. And this is what he said to me, Bardo. I said, man, how does a sucker fish survive in the ocean? He said, it's waiting for a shark to come by. And when a shark comes by, it uses this powerful suction to connect to the shark. And I just dropped my fishing pole, and all of a sudden the metaphor just spoke to me so vividly that the sucker fish needs a mentor. Mm. The sucker fish needs a coach. The sucker fish needs somebody bigger than them to help them take them to the next level. Mm. My coaches were my shark and I was a sucker fish. My dad was my shark and I was a sucker fish. When I started my speaking business, I had mentors. And so all of a sudden I realized, man, that's how I got good in two different industries. <laughs> Coaching. That's right. Support. So when I hear people say, man, I don't need nobody. Like, oh, you're done. <laughs> 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 right? You know, and when I, when I meet uncoachable people, when I'm people who aren't teachable, you know, imagine if I didn't listen to my basketball coach who told me to lose 15 pounds and work on my three-point shot. Imagine if I didn't listen to my assistant coach who told me, if you want to be a pro, you got to choose one. Mm-hmm. Right? Imagine if my dad would have bailed me out and I transferred and I'd have been one of those kids in the transfer portal that you never heard from again, right? Imagine if I didn't listen to these coaches and support. Imagine if they weren't there. We wouldn't be talking today. I wouldn't be a Hall of Fame speaker. I never would have played in the NBA. Think about all the casualties in this world that didn't have the right support. I didn't listen to their support. And I'll give you the example, and this is a powerful one. I shared this on stage. Tiger Woods completely fell apart when his dad died. 
you know, everybody's trying to figure out what happened to Tiger Woods. Is it his knee? Is it his back? When his support fell apart, his, who does Tiger Woods call right now to this day when he's struggling? Who does he talk to when he needs some advice who doesn't have an ulterior motive, who's not trying to write a tell-all book, who's not going to tweet, who's not gonna, who just has a general interest, has nothing to gain, it's just say, Tiger Woods, I want to be your friend. When Michael Jordan played baseball, it happened right after his dad died. Yeah, that's right. They're the, the greatest athlete in the world for a couple of years, known as the most mentally tough athlete. Tiger Woods, the most mentally tough golfer we've ever seen. Both of these men fell apart when they lost their father, which really confirmed to me the power of how important support is. So when I think about these homeless people who don't have support, when I think about single moms and these boys who don't have the dad, um, doesn't guarantee success, right? right? But man, we all need support. I don't care who you are. I don't care what level of success you're trying to achieve. The one thing I all know, Bardo, if Michael Jordan needs support, we need support. That's real. If Tiger Wood needs support, we all need support. So my challenge for anybody listening today, what does your support network look like? You think about depression and anxiety, right? Those are two things that can probably be eliminated with just a little support. Mm. But people who deal with, you know, anxiety and depression in many cases, are you going to get help? <laughs> are you going to get support? And when you get the help and when you get the support, whether it's spiritually, whether it's medically, whether it's just having socialization with your friends, sometimes some good fellowship can change the game in your mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Are you coachable and teachable, right? When you get the support, do you execute what you're being encouraged to do? Or are you out here like a sucker fish by yourself? And the shark is coming by, but you're not connecting to the shark. Oh, I just talked to somebody today. <laughs> Coaching and mentoring is what we're doing with the book swim. It's a bestseller because all of my business leaders, when they read it, they realize what leadership is really all about. It's not about firing your people. It's not about criticizing your people. It's about supporting your people. It's about developing your people. I flunked out of my first high school, Bardo. Mm. Now I'm a best-selling author. And, and a Hall of Fame speaker. I, I sat on the bench in college. You know, I had a rookie scoring record that uh, Luca Donis just broke last year. I did. I did not know that. I didn't, I didn't know I had it either. I had to score the most points in the first three games in the history of the Dallas Mavericks for a rookie. And Luka Donich broke the record that stood for 20 years. This is a guy who sat on the bench in college. So I know how important support is. I know how important coaching is. So when I'm on this boat and I see the sucker fish, and the captain says, man, this sucker fish is floating in the ocean waiting for her shark to come by. And the sucker fish's job is to use their suction, the only resource God gave it, to connect to the shark. Mm. The shark mm. is coming by. It's the sucker fish's job to connect. So we got any sucker fishes listening today. If you don't like where you are right now, maybe you have not connected to the shark God gave you. Or maybe mm. the shark is in the building, but you don't listen to your shark. Come on, man. Come on, talk to me. I, I know how important it was for Tiger Woods to have that support of his dad. I know how important Michael Jordan's father was. I know how important my dad was. 
If you don't have a dad, go get go get a mentor. Right. It don't have to be biological. My assistant coaches in college played a role. My basketball coach played a role. My mentors in the speaking business played a role. My father passed away. And I still need support. That's I'm, right. not here, I'm not out here by myself. That's right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's what I want to share with the world through the book Swim. Man, Jersey Mike's bought 3,000. <laughs> and then all the franchisees went and bought them for their managers. And the book is a blessing because it is my heart. And I'm teaching, man, you're not really a shark until you make somebody else successful. Mm. So for a long time, Bardo, I was a sucker fish. And I made a decision when I became a motivational speaker to become the shark. Okay. Okay. And now we got companies that have connected to us. We have professionals who've connected to us. We got Fortune 500 companies that connected to us and say, Walter, in this context, we're going to be the sucker fish. Teach us how to get our mind right. Wow. Teach us how to dominate where we are. Teach us how to lead. <laughs> Teach right. us how to be an impact player. Okay. Man, I'm, 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 I'm going to close with this, man. When I went to my dad's high school, the bell would ring. And anybody that knows and went to high school with me knows this is the truth. My father would come into the hallway, pull up his pants, and he would begin to make an order. Hey, hey, the bell just rang. Where are you supposed to be, young lady? Why are you in the hallway? Where are you supposed to be, young man? Hey, hey, the bell. Man, people would take off running when the bell rang. They would see Mr. Bond. And it got so good, he stopped talking. He would just pull up his pants, and people would take off running because we all knew <laughs> that the bell rang. There's somewhere we're supposed to be. That's right. That's right. So I challenge my companies, where are you supposed to be? Mm. I tell my business leaders, where are you supposed to be right now? You're supposed to be at 400 million? Get there. Mm. You're supposed to be at 1 billion? Get there. You're supposed to be at 1 million? Get there. Whatever your number is, don't matter. Where are you supposed to be? When I got inducted into the Hall of Fame, Berto, a young lady came up to me, and she didn't know my story. She didn't know my journey. And she says, wow, you're getting inducted into the Hall of Fame? Aren't you excited? I said, yeah. Well, you're not acting like it. You know what I told her? <laughs> I'm supposed to be here. That's real. Because <laughs> you put the work in. That's right. For the first time in my life, I set a goal, a vision, and I stuck to it. I didn't have those ups and downs. And I grinded. And when I got inducted, I was like, look, I'm supposed to be here. That's right. That's I'm supposed right. to be on top. I'm supposed to be a boss. Why? Because I'm a child of God. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm, suppo I'm supposed to have dominion. That's I'm right. I'm supposed to dominate. Right? And so I challenge anybody, man, if you're not where you're supposed to be, that's your fault. Mm. Okay. Hey, grab a copy of the book and show it, uh, show it on the – you got one in there? I do, man. Cause I like I like you I, I I like the shirt too. So this is the book Swim, Walter Bond's new book. He's a two-time author. All but stink is his first book. This is his second book, Swim. Where can people find this, Walter? You know, the easiest place to go is our website, uh, WalterBond.com. Uh, WalterBond.com. You can order Shock Mindset T-shirt 
I like that. Uh, we have hats. Uh, we just had a, a financial service firm call us and buy every one of their account managers a Shark Mindset t-shirt. Um, and especially right now, man, you know, sharks never stop moving. And we did research on sharks, and we came up in the book. It's called The Sacred Six. And that's what Jersey Mike's is doing. A lot of our clients are using The Sacred Six from the book Swim to really train their people on why sharks are at the top of the food chain. Mm. Right? Work ethic. Think about it. Sharks never stop moving, right? right. If, you, if you don't like where you are, chances are you're freaking lazy, mm. right? People with work ethic, man, look, they, they, they always have money. They figure it out. That's right. Thank you. So, you know, that's just one of the sacred six. I'm not going to give you all six. But number one on the sacred six of why a shark runs the ocean is their work ethic. They never stop moving, and they're always in attack mode. Now, think about that. They're always in attack mode looking for the next food source. So right now with the coronavirus, I'm not sitting here watching the news all day. I got, we, we, we put a, a post on Facebook. They got 12,000 views, and it was simple. Turn off the news, wash your hands, and keep it moving. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. Turn off the news, wash your hands, and keep it moving. So in other words, how can we take advantage of the coronavirus? It's unfortunate, but how can we better position ourselves? You know, 9-11, after it was over, we improved our business because we didn't stop moving. Mm, okay. When the real estate crisis hit in 2006, we got in better position. We didn't stop moving. So I want to encourage America, man, keep moving, man. Keep moving forward. That's the sacred six. It's the number one on sacred six. Sharks never stop moving. And the funny thing, if you watch any shark video, they got, they got scratches and scars on their skin. They've been in some battles. <laughs> They've had some, they got some scar tissue, but they keep it moving. Marlo, you've been in some battles. Yes, sir. You got, you, you got some wounds. Yes, sir. Right? You, you Come on, but did, did you stop moving, Bardo? You can't. Can't ever stop moving. <laughs> That's right. Come on, man. Come on, yeah. man. You know, it ain't what happened to us in life that defines us. It's how we respond to what happens in life. Agreed. That's the key. And how we respond is how we get to the testimony. You know, you've been to jail, but how did you respond when you got out? You got divorced, but how did you respond? Right? You filed bankruptcy, but how did you respond? Right? You got fired. Got it. But how did you respond? Okay? And that's what Sharks is all about, man. They keep it moving, bro. So, again, turn off the news. <laughs> wash your hands. That's right. And keep, and keep it, moving. it moving. I love that. We've been working all day, man. And I took a break to holler at my boy, Bardo, on the breakdown. There it is. As soon as we get done with this with this episode, I'm getting right back to our business meeting. And we're going to talk about our power of two and what do we need to do to take this Hall of Fame speaking business to the next level. And here's my final comment. Because my wife's looking at me cross-eyed like, you ain't done, let's get to work. <laughs> I made a shift in my mind, Bardo. And I think this is what sometimes needs to happen. It ain't about me anymore. I done paid for college for my kids. I'm not worried about paying my bills. And that was about how big of an impact can I have in other people's life? Mm. Okay. 
when you tangle up with a great white man, they're going to leave a mark. <laughs> if you get tangled up with a great white, they are going to leave a mark. That's right. I will leave a mark, man. Right? Through this book, through our trainings. I, I will leave a mark. You know, when I think about my, my ultimate shark, Jesus Christ, he left a mark. We're still talking about him 2019 years later. I mean, in, in the humanity of it, Oprah's leaving a mark. Right, Beyonce, Jay Z, you got people out here. Barack Obama, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, they left marks, right? You mm -hmm. know, I mean, Amazon, Tesla. I mean, these individuals and companies are leaving a mark. So, my challenge for everybody listening today what mark are you going to leave on this world? Mm. What legacy, what mark are you going to leave on this earth that people knew you were here? <laughs> you know, come on, talk to me. Come on, talk to me. I want people to know I was here. You know, Dale Carnegie died in 1954, and people are still talking about him today. Why? He left a mark. So hopefully with SWIM and all the trainings that we do, that we're no doubt leaving a mark on our clients. And that's why they use us. That's why they pay us. And we just want to market better so that we can help more people. And at 51 years old, that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. Just help as many people as I can get off their bench. <laughs> I love it. I just, love just help it. as many people. How many companies can we help get off their bench? Mm. Right? How many, how many people can we help who are about to flunk out of life? <laughs> raise their GPA. <laughs> raise their credit score. Raise their kids. Right. And have an impact. And my life ain't perfect. You know what I mean? And, and I, I'll be doggone that I'm not going to keep trying until it is. <laughs> Well, those wise words spoken by Walter Bond there. Walter, thanks so much for joining, man. You can find Walter at WalterBond.com, simply www.WalterBond.com. That'll do it for this edition of Bartle's Breakdown. I'm your man, Stephen Bartle. This has been a blast. Walter, thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate it. Got it, man. All Got right. it. Talk until, to you soon, buddy. All right, man. Until next time, y'all. Peace. Peace. I'll let your boy. All right. Thanks, Walt. Appreciate you, brother. No doubt, man. Holler at me, man. Make sure I get a link. Okay. Peace, All right, bro. Okay, bye-bye.